0: You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at paintedrockadvisors at gmail.com.
1: Hi, this is Gary Cohn. Welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, a podcast series on everything in the nonprofit, philanthropic, and business world. Today, our guest is Sam Lauder, a principal of BMWL. Those are the initials of the original partners, if I'm correct. And it's a firm that handles governmental relations and strategic communications with over three decades of experience in local, state, and national politics. Sam is a fifth-generation San Francisco lives with his wife and two children, and a home about eight blocks from where he grew up. He graduated from the University of California, Berkeley, with a Bachelor of Arts in Poli-Sci. As a nationally recognized activist in the Jewish community, Sam's passions outside of his family and friends include Israel, the San Francisco Giants, and photography. Welcome, Sam.
0: Gary, thank you for
1: having me. It's good to be here. I want to do a little bit of background on you and, and talk about your business a little bit and how you got into the advocacy area. Give me a little background on the firm and, and what you're doing there.
0: Firm is 23 years old, which in a, the world of politics, a partnership lasting that long is is highly unusual and something that my partners and I are very proud of. Firms last this long, but always single person shops. We are a full service public affairs and political consulting firm. Based in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, we do work all over California. On the campaign side, we run local campaigns, ballot measures, people running for county board of supervisors, state assembly, state senate, primarily when we run individuals. But we do a lot of ballot measures. And then on the public affairs side, we represent everything from Google to SEIU to the San Francisco Botanical Garden Society. It's whatever strikes the interest, the, the whatever the partners find to be interesting work. We have the luxury of being able to work with with clients that we enjoy being with. So you asked
1: me recently, you know, I'm in my own consulting practice these days. How do you like? It? And I said, well, in the beginning you take all comers because you need the money to get your firm going. but once you get to a certain point, then you can pick and choose the quality client you want. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's uh, I, I feel blessed that we've reached that that place where we can pick and choose. Uh, so- I, I run our public affairs arm, and, and meaning that I provide uh, mostly um, strategic communications, less less lobbying work than uh, than I used to. Which it's because I enjoy the strategic communications part more than more than the lobbying, but still lobby for some of our clients in San Francisco, and Oakland, and Berkeley, and in San Jose.
1: In the last you know four or five years, obviously the political landscape has changed
0: dramatically in a lot of ways. Uh, how has that impacted the work that you do? It hasn't impacted us at all. The political landscape hasn't changed in the Bay Area. We are we are blue and bluer. That's <laughs> what we are, and that's what we remain. So uh, yeah, the political landscape here is has is stayed pretty consistent. I was having a conversation with uh, a national political reporter the other day who was curious about what's going to happen in Nancy Pelosi's seat if she decides that. She's retiring, which obviously everybody is wondering. I had to explain that one of the leading candidates to run for her seat if she decides to retire, which he might look like he is as far left as possible in the uh, the scope of the United States, but in San Francisco, he's moderate without his politics changing, mind you. But the rest of the country that has heard of him thinks that he is this, like this crazy, crazy far lefty And in San Francisco. It's he's just not. <laughs> just, and so our politics hasn't changed. Nothing. Nothing has changed. This I story. remember when my when my
1: daughter went off to college in Boston and she goes, Dad, I don't think I'm in San Francisco
0: anymore. You know, she grew up in Berkeley, open in San Francisco. It it's doesn't, it, it's we, we are we are an unusual island. It's a different world. In my volunteer life, the national political scene has has made life different, but but not in my professional life.
1: When I went to Rabbi Mintz's first wedding ceremony, I came home and my daughter was probably about 10 years old then. And I said, oh, Sydney and Deborah got married today. And uh, she said, I, I thought they were married. And I go, well, what do you mean you thought they were married? Well, they have a house. They have kids. Uh, of course they're married. <laughs> That's growing up in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From that, so give me a a, a little because uh, I'm learning this too a little bit. My 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 listeners will too. Public affairs and public relations. What's the difference?
0: Uh, do you, it's, people ask me that all the time, so I have a way of explaining the difference between advertising, public relations, and public affairs. So uh, remember the old Chevron commercials. Do people care? People do. Yeah. So let's take that commercial advertising is when they ran the commercials that said our gasoline is the best our gasoline is the cheapest come and buy gasoline from us public relations were those do people care people do commercials public affairs is when they need to get government and community approval to get their you know to modernize their refinery to do to build a refinery to change it out somehow where they have to get government approvals Public affairs is when you you is the type of firm you hire to help with that. So we help with community organizing, community outreach, media relations, direct lobbying at at on regulatory and elected bodies. Uh, my my kids used to call me a government sherpa.
1: <laughs> so
0: to guide people through the, the process that they they need to go through. I have one client in the Bay Area who's doing a project and there has 22 regulatory agencies that get a say in whether or not they complete their project. Wow. So it's a lot of figuring out, and that's what public affairs is. And now
1: a moment for one of our sponsors. Jorgensen HR believes that the employer's workforce is the single key to customer satisfaction, reputation, growth, profitability, and the ultimate success of the company. Jorgensen works to ensure that employees are engaged, well-trained, and led by owners and management that are passionate about the success of their company and its employees. Jorgensen HR provides outsourced HR on an interim or permanent basis. They provide an audit of the company's HR policies, including work plans, procedures in compliance with labor laws. They provide affirmative action audits for companies that are required by law, to have an annual report. They handle workplace investigations for harassment and discrimination among their HR solutions. Jorgensen HR, results-oriented, driven by passion, guided by expertise. Jorgensen can be reached at jorgensenhr.com, J-O-R-G-E-N-S-E-N-H-R.com. How did you get from Cal Berkeley in a, a poli-sci degree into uh, public affairs?
0: Well, I started in on this path before I even got to Cal Berkeley. I had my first paid political job was for the local congressman in San Francisco, Phil Burton, when I was 18. Huh. I, I grew up in politics. I, I was volunteering on campaigns when I was 10 years old and younger. And when I, when I was 10, I told my parents that I wanted to be a campaign consultant when I grew up. After college, I went into campaigns full-time, realized it really wasn't the part of politics that I loved so much. I, I, I love observing campaigns. I love studying them. I love electoral politics, but I didn't want to actually spend my life doing it. But I also didn't want to leave politics. I went into different different component of it and found that, that this was more my calling. And the, the campaign I went on after college, I, I ended up working half my uh, time was for a United States senator on his Senate staff. And then half my time was on his presidential campaign, and uh, it took a while for him to become president. That was uh, the 88 cycle. He dropped out in late 87 and eventually uh, got to the White House, where he sits, resides right now. So that was for Joe (laughs) Biden.
1: So that was that great picture. It took a while,
0: but he got there.
1: I think I did see a picture of you and Joe Biden at Hanukkah this year. Was that
0: you? I mean, I miss, it It was you. I I, uh, was able to Um, I was deeply involved in the campaign as a volunteer from the finance committee for him in 20, uh, ended up being one of uh, apparently one of the 30 largest fundraisers for him in the country. His team asked me afterwards what I, we'd like to appoint you something, what would you like? And I said, I, I don't want anything except when the Hanukkah party rolls around, I want to not have just my name on the invitation. I want my wife and my two kids invited too. Oh, and there you that's go. That's what happened. So I got to bring my family to the White House, which everybody laughed at because they didn't understand that. That's very un Washington, D.C., because everybody <laughs> would say, well, I'd like to be the ambassador to Italy. You know, <laughs> no, I'm not a qualified. to be I don't mean, I, I don't need anything. I did this because I wanted Joe Biden to be president, not because I wanted something, but I did want the Hanukkah party invitation. So yeah, we got to go. And I got to actually see him and hug him. And it was great. So I've in, uh, in, the, world,
1: in so. the world of politics and the world of business, we always talk about leadership and mentors. Mm-hmm. Who, who are your mentors growing up in the world of public affairs?
0: who was my mentor yes well um, the world of po- i'm gonna make it bigger it's the world of politics okay uh, my mom my mom was my number one mentor there's there is nobody nobody i'd ever met that approached the world of politics in a more ethical and honest and intelligent manner and the ultimate behind the scenes person always wanted to be that way and it's kind of uh, it's my preference too. I'm not quite as behind the scenes as she was just because of the nature of my business where I have to go find clients. Uh, and so you can't be totally behind the scenes, but she was number one. Uh, and I had others too. The late Leo McCarthy, lieutenant governor for a while before that speaker of the assembly, he and his wife, Jackie, and my parents were extremely close friends. I always say that Leo and and Jackie were at the trifecta for me—the my Bris, my Bar Mitzvah, and my wedding. Uh, <laughs> Willie Brown was a mentor, still is, and you know. And then there were other people, you know, in our community. I had community mentors also—the people that I had the honor of, of knowing and 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 observing their Jewish community and pro-Israel community activities, like uh, Sissy Swig and Henry Berman, uh, Amy Friedkin. It's, I've had, I've had a lot of blessings to be able to interact with a lot of people who are just incredible. Well, pe- people no, one, no one more than my, no one more than Naomi, my mom.
1: Yeah, she was, she was terrific. I, I will say that. And I got involved and met her the first time, probably back in the early nineties when I came to San Francisco and got involved in APAC at the time. We thank our sponsor, Hot Dog Business Growth. Hot Dog Business Growth has over 40 years of practical experience. We've developed best practices for the execution of ideas, professional growth, constructive communication, employee relations, sales strategies, including compensation, pricing, marketing, and much more, such as CEO and leadership counseling, both in the for-profit and non-profit sectors, customer service assessments and training, sales counseling for individuals, sales teams, sales management support, and pricing strategies. We focus on team synergy. Our leader, Joel Volk, has spent years building the type of team synergy that results in positive relationships and improved results. We have a team of 11 consultants working in the profit and nonprofit world. As Joel says, hot dog, it's a wonderful life. You can find us at hotdogbizgrowth.com. That's hotdogbizgrowth.com. You have a few passions in your life, obviously passions of public affairs and Passion of, of baseball, we'll talk about maybe later, but uh, Israel also is a passion of yours.
0: Israel uh, is, the, is my passion. Outside so, of my family and friends, there's nothing more important.
1: Let's talk a little bit about that. It's a very challenging time in Israel. I talked to my colleagues there. I don't know if you know, when I, when I, when I left the synagogue and got into the fundraising world, I spent seven years with Technion and then with the Jewish Agency. And so okay. I've got colleagues in Israel all around and they're having a a struggling time right now. What, what is your sense of what's going on there? Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) We only have a half an hour for the podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Can we, can, do you have all day? (laughs) Listen, I, there are so many, so many levels to this. There's so many components. There's so many, there's the, there's the, the history of, of Ashkenazi control in, in Mizrahi and Sephardic Jews feeling as second class citizens are playing into this. There's the, the nationalists and the religious, nationalist religious, I'm going to say that as one entity in concert with the ultra religious who actually don't feel the same way about the nationalists. In, in the secular there's tel aviv versus jerusalem there's urban versus rural there is i mean the 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 tribal splits that are that exist in israel i think is what we're seeing is more than anything else rearing its head right now and, and all all under the the watchful eye of the probably the most i want to say this gently the the most skilled conductor of the Israeli body politic in its history. Uh, And I say that in in Netanyahu. And I say that more than Ben-Gurion. Now, I'm not saying that I like his skills. (laughs) I'm not saying that I like the way he conducts. I'm just saying that, you know, when you look at it as an unbiased observer that I try to be sometimes, uh, not all the time, sometimes I try not to be. Uh, When you look at it, he his skills are in, incredible. I, people are saying right now it's like BB blinked. And that's that's the analysis I'm reading all the time is BB blinked. He, he put the put the legislation on hold. BB didn't blink. BB got the two things that he wanted most of all. He wanted the legislation that protected a sitting prime minister from going uh, through a trial. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted the legislation to appoint the judges. Now the legislation to protect the prime minister is already done, and the legislation to to uh, uh, appoint the judges is at its last stage. If it went to the floor of the Knesset tomorrow, it would pass tomorrow and be done. And he wanted those two chits going into negotiations. Now, is he going to negotiate? I don't know. Is he not? I, who knows? Who knows if the if he's going to be honest about negotiations or not? I don't think anybody who says that he that they know is just not true. And, and he'll decide whether or not he's being honest about negotiations if he decides that it plays into the hand that he wants to play. Uh, so he very well may go into negotiations, honestly, and he very well not. So, But at the same time, the things that many of the things that I absolutely adore about Israel, that I love about Israel, it, are evident more than ever right now. I mean, think about this for a second. There were simultaneous protests going on in, in France as there were in Israel. France nothing going on in France that has great conflict but because of the the uh, the prime minister in, in France uh deciding that um that he was going to raise the yeah. retirement age the streets went wild and you saw violence and you saw you know burning cars and in Israel there was very little very little violence there were some odds and ends there but there were there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people on the street. And it was peaceful, and people were waving the Israeli flag. And, and the entire thing was done out of patriotism and, and and a desire for democracy. And actually, I say that about both sides. I, I mean, we're hearing more stories about violence coming from the right, but you're still not hearing a lot. And and they're, you know, standing up. In lesser numbers, but they're still you know significant numbers. They're standing up, starting to rally, also with the theme of this is this is the country that we love, and we haven't felt equal, and we want to feel equal in the country we love. It's remarkable the way that that these protests have come off. You don't see this kind of the protests you see in the United States. You have prob- more problems than you do in in Israel. It's it's been it's Reminded me, not that I needed reminding, but it reminded me of of many of the reasons why I love that country so, so much.
1: Yeah. The other big issue, obviously, in Israel, since the right has taken the political lead over there, is the Palestinian issue and is the two-state solution dead forever or not. What's your take on that?
0: Uh, I I, I did, My take is a pretty simple one. There's no solution in front of us at this moment. I, it, there's just... Um, right now, both sides, neither side is, is, uh, is prepared to figure out a solution. There have been times when I said really only the Palestinian side wasn't prepared to find a solution. There are times when I've said neither side is ready and right now we're at neither. It's, there's, and that's been for a while. It's the last government, which I really liked, um, under Benin and Lapid, they weren't ready. They right. they weren't look yeah. for a solution either. I don't know. Is the two state dead? Listen, I, people say oh, you, the two state dies when you build settlements. No, the land is still the land. I mean, are you going to have to remove people? Are the are the, the Palestinian is the Palestinian Authority ever going to reverse the last time they made a statement, which Jews won't be allowed to live in Palestine, um, and and allow the settlements to stay there? I mean, I you know, I have a. A dear friend, who who it's very strange that we we have this wonderful friendship. He's an Orthodox rabbi who lives in a part of the West Bank that I think should be part of a Palestinian state someday. In a town called Mitzpe Yericho, wonderful man. We just see things a little differently, but still a wonderful person and a great soul. And and uh, it's, he said, "Well, would you want me to be removed?" I said, "No. I think that Mitzpe Yericho should stay there and." You just would live in Palestine. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. That's that's now. It's easy for me to say. I live in San Francisco. Yeah, and What's that's the something thing that I've it? always strongly What's felt it? is I live here. I didn't put my kids into the IDF. Uh, I mean, yeah, I go as often as I can, but I live here. So there's there's uh, only so much that I am willing to say. Um, right.
1: Well, it's interesting like for I, me having worked I, for the it's Jewish. It's just an opinion. Yeah, having worked for the Jewish Agency, it's interesting for me is that I had a a West Coast uh, perspective of Israel for years, and in the Jewish Agency, uh, one of my key senior execs I worked with closely lives in Gush Etzion and is a modern Orthodox Jew, and a lot of people living in East Jerusalem in in Jewish sections, uh, as well as uh, Tel Aviv and Haifa, and uh, you get a different perspective when you get to know the people and their families differently. I'm actually a proud supporter of a women's soccer team in, in Jerusalem. One of my Jewish agency people is part of it, and I send her money every year to get my uniform and uh, and watch them play uh, online. But it, it is an interesting dynamic because we are living here and we don't have that uh, impact. Though I do have a, a dear friend from uh, the synagogue world uh, who was the executive director of a synagogue in the, the West End of London for years and years who made Aliyah 15 years ago ended up at the Technion where I met up with him again and now he he's retired and lives in uh in uh, Haifa but was in the streets protesting and he publishes regularly articles about you know a british view uh of uh, of Israel from his perspective as a uh, as Olim. so it's a a very interesting time uh, yeah. for him. and then the the leader of uh of the Jewish Agency for a number of years when I was working closely with him and taking him to see donors on the west coast was uh Bougie Herzog who is now the president of Israel uh, and he has another dynamic perspective of that.
0: I'm going to actually see him in a little over a month.
1: Oh yeah. Great guy. I uh, I really I'm respect him a, a lot.
0: I'm leading a trip to Israel uh for the uh, for mayor, San Francisco mayor London Breed um with her starring her uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Haifa San Francisco Sister City religion. right
1: I was very active in that during my time uh at the Technion yeah so let me let me talk a little bit about other philanthropy with you are you involved in any other philanthropy in the secular world or just primarily the Jewish world uh
0: I, I almost exclusively in the Jewish world and the pro-Israel world um the there have been odds and ends over the years where there was something that resonated that I helped, but there were always one-offs because, yeah, you know, listen, you can only stretch yourself so far. Right. Uh, Right. And and the fundraising I do is entirely as a volunteer. It's nothing to do with my business. Well, one
1: of my uh, my guests recently on the show was Mike Levin, who is the founder of the Jewish Future Pledge. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. Read about it, but I don't really know much. Uh, He actually is a, he sits on the board of the Marcus Foundation down in Atlanta and uh, he's like an 85-year-old guy who acts like he's 60 and dynamic is all out. And uh, he was actually Adelson's number one assistant, so to speak, running his hotel chains all through the Asian corridor, building them out for Adelson at the time. But oh. his, basically his philosophy is he wants Jews to give half their charity to Jewish causes, because so many Jews have been giving to non-Jewish causes over the years. And San Francisco is a good example of that with the uh, a number of big Jewish families have their names on the symphony opera and a number of other places. And he's trying to get some equality in that giving uh,
0: that giving. Well, but Those families also are incredibly generous to the Jewish community too. Oh
1: yeah, Jewish. definitely, definitely. Probably the highlight of my life and career is I get to meet some very interesting people. In the banking world, I was a banker in the apparel industry with some very big names in my past. And in the Jewish world, I got to work with some great people in the Bay Area. Uh, and now in Los Angeles, so it's uh, very good. I'm I'm getting ready to pick up a $100 million campaign client for one of the biggest conservative synagogues in LA, which should be an interesting project to get my hands around. So when you're not doing public affairs, you're not doing Jewish stuff, what do you like to do for fun?
0: I love being outside. Mount Tamalpais and Point Reyes are frequent destinations for uh, my wife and I, hiking with our friends, is uh it's kind of the number number one thing i'm also into photography I, I for
1: those listeners uh, of my podcast who are not in the bay area mount tam is one of the great uh
0: pleasures of uh of the world mount tam and point Reyes is one of the reasons why or two of the reasons why people go why would you want to live anywhere else that is if you like hiking and nature and beauty and um so that's kind of you know and then there's the san francisco giants which uh, which I, I am a huge fan of the San Francisco teams, born and raised, go, you know, going to Giants games, Niners games, Warriors games. I love them, love them, and my Cal Bears. But for me, baseball kind of has. While my my uh, father and my grandfather taught us a love for for all of our local teams. Baseball kind of held this higher level of of religious reverence, and (laughs) so uh, I bleed orange and black and uh, plan on spending my upcoming Friday uh, at our ballpark waiting for that first pitch all day.
1: Well, I think this is going to be the first opening day I have missed in 23 years, but... uh... It'll be my
0: first opening day. I can remember, and I'm sure it's happened before where I can't eat my traditional one hot dog a year because, uh, it's, it's Pesach and I can't have the bun. So I'm going to have to figure out something else, but it's usually, it's like for the last many years of kind of like, okay, one or two hot dogs. Cause they really aren't that good. Anymore.
1: Well, I'm uh as you know, my wife passed on a couple of years back and, uh, I started a new life uh, partner relationship and, uh, only problem is she doesn't like sports, which is a very interesting challenge for me. But uh, I do; I go do my sports, and it's totally fine. And uh, I'm addicted down here. I I just go to baseball games. I don't. I'm, uh, my
0: wife does not feel the same way about sports as I do, um, <laughs> but she does enjoy going to the game when it's a nice game.
1: On the photography side, I'm actually in a. Um, you mentioned photography. I'm in a uh, a group called the Plato Society in LA, which is a learning institution, if you will, where People primarily over the age of fifty take classes and self-teach themselves a number of ta- classes, and then my next class is going to be the history of California through photography. Oh, fun! And uh, our our textbook is going to be the Kevin Starr History of California, but each session we will look at photographs going back to the eighteen fifties all the way through to today of right. California sites and uh, and everything. So it'll be very oh. fascinating.
0: Well, I. I uh... It is hard to see me go anywhere without without my equipment. Last fall, my wife and I uh, hiked up uh, Half Dome, and every single person said to me, "Why are you carrying your camera equipment?" <laughs> I, I didn't carry all of it. I just carried the camera. But I have a I have a professional camera, and, and it's uh,
1: having spent some time in Austin.
0: I have to admit.
1: I've been spending time in Austin, Texas, where my partner has grandchildren, and I was down in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and I'm looking around, the and I'm saying, you know, this is not California. I like the redwood trees, Yosemite. I lived in the Oakland Hills for 30 years and had redwood trees around my house, and, you know, it was great. We had did construction. We had to protect the trees, obviously, which we did, and the hiking trails. I don't know if you've been to the East Bay Regional Park System, but uh, it's a phenomenal place to to hike and walk and, and, and enjoy nature. Yeah. Uh, Years and years ago, I'll, I'll leave you with this story for me, but years and years ago, uh one of the rabbis at Emmanuel did a high holiday sermon on spirituality and finding God in other places and talked about a woman who walked her dog in the open hills and uh, just found spirituality every day walking her dog for hours in the hills. And the mm-hmm. next day the senior rabbi and I were talking, he said, What kind of you know, sermon was that? Uh, you know, he's an academic rabbi, and it was like, this touchy feely stuff and who finds God in the redwood trees. So I looked at him and I said, Well, the woman he was taught she was talking about was my wife <laughs> walking her dog. So <laughs> we all have our own passions, as they say. Yeah. Okay. so I I didn't I ask you a lot of questions. Anything I should have asked you that I forgot to ask or didn't even think about asking you before <laughs> it's
0: your podcast, my friend. I have no <laughs> idea what you want to hear about. Well, I, I have a lot of, fun. I, I, I must admit, I thought you were going to talk more about fundraising, but, but no, I, I, I'm, you know, with you know. I,
1: I think, you're, you know, what's interesting about your background is that you're in an area of public affairs that a lot of people don't understand, don't understand messaging and, and all that. And I think it's a, it's a great topic for my podcast. Um, uh, I've got about 6,000 listeners now and, uh, the Chronicle Philanthropy likes me, so that's a good thing. Uh, You know, when I got ranked as a highly ranked podcast, I went, who, me? You know, (laughs) I guess people like to hear me interview people. So thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it.
0: It was a great pleasure. Enjoy
1: yourself uh, immensely at Pac Bell Park. I still call it Pac Bell Friday.
0: I call it it the ballpark. I don't even remember what it is.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. You too.
0: Thank you for listening. We want to stay connected with you. Be sure to stay connected with our community by giving a like to our Facebook page and following our Instagram at painted rock underscore advisors. Our podcast is available on all of your favorite platforms. We'll see you at our next release.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite radio network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.